Hey, uh, uh, Kevin, come here, man. Uh, this is Kevin Epps and uh, wife Kristen, but uh, they're kind of new, fairly new to the area. But Kevin's one of the uh, uh, pilots. It's really kind of cool because we got to kind of meet him when they were trying to kind of raise support and figure out about being a pilot, or they had been a not pilot, but working at MFI. It's a ministry where you actually raise support and you have monthly support by different churches, different people. And then when you get X amount, you know, a certain percentage, then you can actually come. And uh, we were thinking it was going to be a while, and all of a sudden they showed up and was like, yes! And uh, they're here because they're pretty cool folks and everything. And plus, I like them especially because they're Florida crackers. And uh, no, but uh, I I love everybody from everywhere, but they're from Plant City, and you grew up in strawberry country, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I grew up, uh, so you remember when Orange County was full of what? Oranges. Oranges, yeah, dude. As soon as, man, if you, when you came in off the, from up north or whatever, off the turnpike, dude, it was just oranges everywhere, orange blossoms, orange groves, oranges all over the place. So, but anyways, be, be praying for them. How, many, how often are you uh, flying these days now? Okay, back to once a week, but you're flying to Haiti, you guys are bringing supplies and all kinds of stuff. And Dominican, we got a flight to Dominican this week, and Haiti. Okay. Right on. So these guys are on the front lines in the DC-3s doing their stuff. Oh, how many of y'all commit to be praying for Kevin and Kristen Epps and, and missionary flights? And, uh, and, and again, uh, if God puts it on your heart, uh, is there any mount that's too small for somebody to support you? Like if some kid wanted to give you five bucks a month or something, is that cool with you? Dude, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. So again, you still, you guys are up to how, what percentage now? For like a constant, we're at 85% uh, for about our monthly support. And uh, yeah, that would, be, that would be awesome. Thank you. Hey, all right. So right now we're at 85% uh, at a constant. We've had a couple... Uh, one-time gifts that that got us uh, the ability to be able to come here and come on full-time. We just, uh, like Pastor Eddie said, we came and we met with them, and um, we were around 60%, and we just prayed because we have to have 75% uh, to come on and start. And so we just prayed. We just said, hey, by August, we're we're just going to have faith, and we know that God's calling us here, so we're just going to step out, and we're just going to do it by August. And so we did. And God provided, and so and He continues to provide every single month that we're here. So um, glory to God for that. What one percent, guys? If you have to have one percent overseas, normally you must say divide that by hundred, right? So what's one percent? One, yeah, one percent would be like fifty bucks. Fifty, fifty cents. Yeah, right. yeah, fifty dollars would be one percent. Yeah. So, um, and then. Um, r- just real, I guess, since I'm already up here, and uh, you guys already pra- passed the praise bucket. Uh, uh, so so we got here at August 9th, and um, just to show you how God's timing is, uh, so awesome. We've been in training for eight years to be able to do this, and uh, we came on, and uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Tropical Storm Fred came through Haiti. So it postponed our Thursday flight that week, which allowed me to get flight training and uh, finished my flight training on Friday morning um, before anybody else came to work. And uh, Saturday, the earthquake happened. So Saturday at noon, I get a phone call from our chief pilot, Ray, and he goes, hey, you want to take a flight to Haiti? I was like, yeah, absolutely. He said, we're going to be there for a while. We're not coming back. I was like, "I I know how to pack. And so we went down. 
And then Grace was coming. And so we went down on Sunday right after, um, and we got to be a part of the one of the first aircraft in after the earthquake. I uh, got to see a lot of um, hurt and pain and, you know, people, they just don't know what to do. Got to med back some people out. We got to be a part of a whole bunch of stuff, like Samaritan's Purse setting up their hospital there, flying their doctors and nurses into there, being a part of that. So we were there for two days. We had to come home because of grace. We went back on Wednesday, and we spent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday there. And I got to be a part of that, which was awesome. And um, anyways, uh, long story short, and two months, last night actually, um, I just got my, my SIC type certificate uh, testing. So it's a bunch of written tests, and then I had to do a flight test last night, and I passed. Woo! <laughs> so that's huge. That's awesome. And um, thank you guys, the ones of you who already know us and who already pray for us. Thank you so much. God is working. Um, and kind of like uh, what our brother said back there about Australia, Haiti's the same way. There's a lot of civil unrest going on. Don't know if you know that the president was assassinated. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on back and forth. And they're like, yeah, you might have spent some nights in Port-au-Prince like two months ago, but you don't want to do that right now because mm-hmm. uh, it's really hectic and crazy again there. So anyways, be praying be praying for us, be praying for them. And uh, so all glory to God. Amen. Hey, stay here. That's not why you want to That was all land yap. That was a little extra, man. <laughs> So, so man, I, I brought Kevin up here. I was, I was praying. I, I thought about Terry, but Terry's a picky eater. I don't really know about you. You ate ribs at my house, so you, you didn't look like a picky eater. So uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. But, um, but, man, you know what? Some of my fondest memories in life uh, when I was a kid, when, literally when I grew up in Orange County, Florida, in Orlando, dude, there were citrus trees everywhere. Man, we'd go ride our bikes out to a lake. And all that was around that lake were maybe like tangelo trees. Around another lake would be tangerine trees. Another one would be Valencia's, man. Another one would be navel oranges. Another one was pink seedless grapefruits. I didn't even know a grapefruit was supposed to be sour till I ate one from a store. And I'm just saying, man, dude, we had citrus ever, And we would just literally, as kids, climb up in the tree and just eat oranges, man. Anybody else do that? Dude, just eat oranges. How many of y'all threw them at each other? Anybody have orange fights? Dude, nothing like orange fight, but you had to make some ground rules. They had to be rotten ones. And somebody always broke it and hit you with a green one, and that hurt, dude. But, but yeah, man, so oranges, that was my life growing up. And, uh, man, so I, I am what you could call possibly a citrus expert, okay? And uh, I, I am a pro at citrus. And so I, I knew Kevin kind of probably had a little bit of experience. And, and I want to show you how we, like, eat, you know, oranges around here, all right? So, so here, you can wipe that off on your own shirt. I just used my hands, and I shook everybody's, you know. Oh, no, hang on, hang on. Oh, you do it that way? No, look, watch. This is how we did it in Orlando, man. Watch this. Just grab it right here. No, man, just bite. Go. Mm. Is this a really good way to do it? <laughs> no. uh, obviously, obviously. Now, if you get anybody ever have kumquats, kumquats are little ones. You eat the skin, you eat the whole thing. But this is not how you eat tangerines. He was just being a good sport, going along with me. And you could continue to eat that if you want that way. But you have. Man, that's because y'all lived out west of town. Y'all had strawberries. Y'all are, y'all are confusing them, man. But literally, that was, that was not the correct way to eat one. In fact, growing up, we used to have contests. This is how bored we were back in Orlando before Disney and all that. 
contest on who could peel an orange the fastest. And, and if it, you didn't get it in one peel, you were not really a Florida. Yeah, one peel. had to be done in one peel, period. I don't care what kind there was. But, but anyways, the way that you get, how many of y'all would really just like to have that? You know, and it's just sitting there. And, and it's in your refrigerator, or it's up on your shelf, or it's on your counter. Is this what it's about, just seeing this beautiful little orange? What's it about? Hey, Jason, what's it about, man? It's about getting down into it, into the goodness. Even, yeah, dude, look at that, man. That's why tangerines are so good. Ashley, you remember Grandpa's tangerine tree? Oh, my goodness, would you not give anything for one of those tangerines now? That nice, big, thick skin that just falls off and inside, which is a juicy tangerine. You had some of those? But the point is, is that this is just an orange. This has not got a lot of value right here. In fact, if you just leave it like this, it's, it might smell a little bit, but then it's going to start rotting. It's going to get hollowed out on the inside, and, 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 and it's, it's just going to mess up. It, this is not where you got to be. Kevin, thank you for helping me out. All right, we're done. Yeah, yeah. You want another one here? All right, bro. <laughs> All right. And, uh, but what's got to happen for us? That What are we trying to get to out of this? The inside, you're trying to get to the juice, man. You're trying to get to the section. That's what you really, if I were to peel it, how many of y'all would just want the skin? Anybody want, Mandy Joe, you want the skin? No, you want the inside. You want the juice. And so in order to get to the skin, get to the juice, Chris, what do I got to do? I got to peel it. But in order to peel it, dude, I got to cut the skin. I got to, I got to, I got to break the skin. I got to have something to get down and dig in the skin. And then I've got I've to just continually rip the skin. How many of y'all like when somebody gets under your skin? <laughs> Any of y'all? Dude, how many of y'all prayed today, Lord, please send someone to get under my skin? I'm praying that maybe by the end of the day, whenever we're done, that maybe that would be your prayer. Because if I don't get under the skin, I never get to what, Chris? I never get to the good stuff. And yet, so often, I think this is what we want our Christian life to look like. In fact, this is what we want our church to look like. Even if we're not like that. Even if we are people. How many of you look more like this with ripped up skin than you do like this? You know, how many of y'all have lives like this right now? It's all ripped up. It's shredded. There's stuff going. Come on, you can raise your hand if that's you. Really, the rest of you are perfect. There's absolutely nothing going on in your life right now. You're like, oh, no, because this is my church face. I'm a little bag of tangerines. Look at my little bag coming in on our Suburban. I'm just messing with you guys. So I just think of your Suburban. And, you know, your little Hyundai. I got made fun of how I said that. Hyundai, whatever. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you drive in, and it's like, all right, everybody put your, put your church face on. Here we are at church. We look nice and perfect. But I'm your pastor, and I know every one of you guys are messed up. I heard your stories at some point, and I'm a human, and I'm messed up, dude. This is really what my life looks like, and yet this is what we keep trying to tell everybody our Christian life looks like. Is that not the case? But if, if we, in order to get to the good stuff, we gotta, we got to be ripped up a little bit. we got to be shredded. We've got we've to gotta let God unpeel us. And you know, man, this is one of my favorite things. When you take this skin, how many of y'all have ever done this before? How many of you ever taken the skin, and, and when you crush it, oh, you're not allergic to oranges, are you? Nowadays, people are allergic to everything, man. I'm just making sure we don't go anaphylactic shot. Anybody have an EpiPen in here, just in case I ever do something stupid? Nope. <laughs> there is a chance, right? But, man, how many of you ever took it, and you just squeeze it? Oh, my goodness. How many of you ever did this before, because, you know, you're too poor for deodorant? But I'm just saying, growing up in Orlando, wasn't a rich place. But, but literally, 
man, you take this. Chris, you were in over in uh, Polk County, weren't you? Lake County. Oh, other side. All right. Not with Sheriff Grady Judge. You're, you're on the other side. Lake County, man. Oh, I know y'all had citrus, man. And, and did you ever take them and just, as a kid, man, I'd sit in a tree and I'd just go, oh. You're like, well, that explains why your brain cells are dead. No, I have other explanations for that. But, oh, man, I could just remember just squeezing it. And what happens when you squeeze this? If you could see it, can you look in the sun? When I squeeze this, what's happening? Oil's coming out. And, and man, you know what my hands smell? You want to smell my finger? <laughs> I'm just saying. You want to smell my hand? Look, when a little kid tells you that, say no, especially if he's a boy, all right? But, but literally, smell my hand, dude. You're like, I don't even still want to smell. What do you think my hand smells like? It smells like an orange. And if I were to give all of you oranges and you were all to peel them and keep crushing them and that oil comes out, what do you think this entire room would smell like? oranges and it's got a lot better chance of smelling like an orange than if everybody carried a bag of these in right why what's the difference between this and this it's got crushed it's gotten crushed it's gotten smushed it's gotten it's it it, and it's got to get crushed to get the flavor out again somebody had to get under its skin peel the skin off something had to come into the life of this orange and literally crush it and again, this is an awesome smell right here. Some of y'all, Fernando, you probably have essential oils that you bought somebody who, dude, you just get oranges and crush them yourself, man. Now, they're not as probably as good, but literally, man, there it is. It had to be crushed. How many of y'all prayed today, God, send somebody to get under my skin. God, send somebody to crush me today. Did anybody pray that? You're saying that's awful masochistic. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it is, but how about God when somebody comes to crush me, when somebody comes to get under my skin, man, let them smell you. Because you know what? We squeeze it in or when you squeeze an orange, what do you get? Yeah, Brad, what do you get when you squeeze an orange, man? Yeah, you get orange juice, right? When you squeeze a Christian, who should you get? Christ. Hey, let me ask you a question. Any of y'all get squeezed this week? And when you got, you got squeezed this week? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you think it's over? <laughs> no, it's, that's why you took a day off, man. That's good. But, but literally, so when you get squeezed, I want you to think back on when you got squeezed. What came out? Did Christ come out? When you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. I mean, that, there's no doubt about it. When you squeeze a Christian, you get Christ. But when we got squeezed, what came out? Man, Terry, you realize we are fixing. I know why you scheduled all those trips. You're going to miss snowbird season on US 1, aren't you? <laughs> you didn't even think of that benefit, right? We're fixing it's snowbird season on US 1 where it's going to take us eight times as long to get places. And the Blue Angels are going to all be in all the rows going the same speed where you, the only way to go by them is on the sidewalk, and that's illegal. I was told. But, <laughs> no, but literally, no matter what the squeezing is happening, man, when you got squeezed, I'm not, I'm not saying what, what, what are you going to do when you get squeezed, but when you got squeezed this week, what came out? I got some situations where what came out was Christ. I got some other situations where what came out was not so Christ. It was my flesh. It was me. And that's kind of the purpose. Whenever I think of persecution in a Christian's life, whenever I think of hard things, God reminds me of these oranges. He reminds me of citrus, that when you squeeze an orange, you get 
orange juice when you squeeze a Christian, you get Christ. And so in order for the world to really see who Christ is on this earth, we have to be what? Squeezed. Everybody say that. We have to be? Yeah. We have to have our skin crushed and ripped out. And so all the time, whenever this kind of stuff happens, we're praying, oh, God, please take away the squeezer. Oh, God, please take away the one that's getting under my skin. Please take this. Well, how many of y'all were, you would say, that's what I pray for first. Have you stayed there long enough with the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to say, no, I put that in your life for a purpose. Those folks need to see Christ. Someone who you don't even know that's looking needs to see Christ. But that's what's there. And so, again, whenever things are brought up in Scripture that I'll be preaching on that have to do with persecution, with, uh, with, with why God would allow suffering to happen in our life, I think of oranges. Because how many of you have had a situation where suffering has brought you closer to God? A situation has got you. You ever heard of God getting your attention? <laughs> we get out there and we get so, so into our world, so into all our, our stuff that all of a sudden God's on the back seat, back seat, back seat. You know, we, he's got a place. He's not gone. He's just there. We got him on a shelf. We got him in a convenient spot. But does God want to be in a convenient spot, Brandon? Where does he want to be in your life? He wants to be all over you, man. He, want, he wants, how much, of his life, how much of your life does he want, Brandon? Yeah, he wants all of it. And when you give him your life, hey, brother, when you give him your life, how much did you give him? Because if you didn't, you weren't saved. If you only gave him a little compartment, man, you're ripping yourself off. Either give it all to him or take it all back, one or the other. But sometimes he has to get our attention so that we'll give it all to him. Gary, isn't that right, man? Sometimes? Sometimes you lay in there, sometimes, sometimes when you think it might be over, <laughs> sometimes when you're just wondering what's next, man, yeah, and, and he's all you got, you find out he's all you need, pardon the cliche there. But so today, as we go into the book of Ephesians, as we started last week, sort of, <laughs> via the book of Revelation, I, I do want to tell you, oh my goodness, my plan, I said, all right, God, I'm so anxious to get into Ephesians. Last week, I was planning on getting through all seven churches, blowing through them so that today we could start Ephesians and be like, yes, or the rest of Ephesians. And, and so I said, surely, God, okay, we only got one church covered last week, right? Y'all remember? And, and I was like, surely, God, you're going to let me go through Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Philadelphia and Laodicea. We're going to bust through those so we can get into Ephesians next week. And I'm like, yes, that's my plan. And God's like, yeah, okay, start studying, start looking, start putting it together. And I really believe we're just going to cover the Church of Smyrna today. Eventually, we will get back into Ephesians. Maybe when you're all done traveling in six, seven months, we will actually start the rest of Ephesians. I don't know. But it's not up to me. It's up to him. I just know if God brought you here today, he wants you to hear something from, the, from Revelation about the church in Smyrna. And so let's go ahead and let's get started with our... Uh, oh. Let's get started We're in our introduction to the book of Ephesians, okay? We started that last week, and the title of the entire message, however long it takes us to get through Ephesians, is what I really want you to remember about the book of Ephesians, is that spiritual blessings are better than what? Material blessings. How many of y'all believe spiritual blessings are better than material blessings? Yeah, then why are you crying when you lose your material blessings? <laughs> I'm just saying, we believe it. And it's in the book of Ephesians that Paul's writing to a, a bunch of different churches 
at that time. And he's telling each one of them in their own way, spiritual blessings, internal spiritual blessings are way better than external material blessings. He's not saying material blessings are bad, and that's not what I'm saying. Material blessings are good, but they come from who? They come from God. And since he owns us and gives us, what does he want us to do with them? He wants us to use them the way he wants us to use them. And most of the time, it's not for us. It's for somebody else. And so I'm not saying, please don't understand me saying that material blessings are bad. They're, they're not. They're great. But the fact is, is that you've got responsibility how to use those. And God is going to show us in the book of Ephesians, whether it's through this churches in Revelation, or it's when we get through Ephesians, that spiritual blessings are way better than material blessings. And last week we talked about that. Why? Why? Because they're internal. If they're internal, can anybody take them from us? No, they're there. You own them. And, um, and he's promised. In fact, when we get done with those seven churches, the very first verse we're going to hear in Ephesians is he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. There is no spiritual blessing you need or will need that he's not already given you in advance. You have it. He's going to teach us how to go in the shopping bag and pull it out. So spiritual blessings, you don't hear anything else, you don't remember anything else, spiritual blessings are better than material blessings. And when do we really need to remember that? All the time, because what about what happens if all of a sudden we just get piled on with material blessings, material blessings, material blessings, you know? What happens if we've got everything we need material-wise? Everything is there. Who do we forget about sometimes? God. I always joke that this dude named Jonah said you could have one heck of a prayer meeting in the belly of a whale, right? Because when things all of a sudden get bad, I'm your pastor, man. And there's sometimes when things are going good, I don't even see you guys <laughs> because everything's good. But man, when things hit the fan, when it's all down and it's all messing up and, and you got nowhere to turn but God, now I see you guys. And I'm grateful for you guys. I get to see you like every week. All right. You know, <laughs> a lot of you guys. But what I'm saying is to historically as a pastor, dude, God has to get people's attention. And that's okay as long as he gets your attention. That's what it's about. But the spiritual blessings are better than material blessings. And we're going to learn that in the book of Ephesians. You just got to trust me now. So we started out with the idea that a text, this whole book of Ephesians, it, 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 without a context, without understanding who it's written to and why, it's nothing but a pretext. You can take verses out and make it say whatever you want it to say. But what he wants it to say is that spiritual blessings are better than material blessings. And if you have material blessings, use them to turn them into spiritual blessings for other people and yourself in this. So we start looking at who wrote it. It was written by Paul, the apostle, while he was in prison. So Paul, kind of in his own doing, Gary, um, could you imagine somebody just getting thrown in jail on purpose? <laughs> you know, that's what he did. Paul got thrown in jail on purpose. He could have been released a bunch of times on his first imprisonment. And he's like, no, I want to see Caesar. I want to, no, I want to see, I want to see the head dude. Why, Kevin, why did he want to see the guy running the entire empire? What was Paul's purpose in seeing him? Do you know? All right. Anybody. Why would Paul want to see anybody? Hey, go ahead. Yeah, that's Paul. Yeah. You know, you get to meet the president of Haiti when they get one. Why would you want to meet him? Because you can tell him about Jesus. In other words, every single person, including the four soldiers that he was chained to, who did they hear about from Paul? Jesus. His purpose in everything was to tell people about Christ. That was it. And so Paul could have got out of jail. He could have been released, never even gone to jail. 
They didn't know what to do with Paul. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. Y'all violated me. I'm going to jail. And, but it was like kind of a home jail. He even paid for his quarters where he was at. And he could have people come in and out. But he was on track to go see the head dude, to see Caesar and so on, to be able to, you know, King Agrippa. He saw King Agrippa and all that. You can read about in the book of Acts. And it was all to see Jesus. Finally, he has his say with everybody and they let him go. They let him go. He takes off. He's doing some more preaching. But in a couple of years, that's when the whole Nero thing went down. That's when heavy persecution came and Paul and Peter and a bunch of dudes got arrested for real this time. They got arrested for real this time. There was no house arrest. There was no whatever. They, they got arrested to be put to death. That was the idea. And, and so by the mid-60s, man, Paul's in jail, and he's just waiting for his death. That's when he writes 2 Timothy. But he, his first imprisonment is where he wrote to the Ephesians. And he said, guys, I want you to understand material blessings aren't as good as spiritual blessings because you're fixing to hit persecution, and you're fixing to lose all your material blessings. And you're only going to have spiritual blessings, but I want you to know you have everything because you have a home in heaven with Christ. And he gives us a bunch of other reasons why spiritual blessings are better than material blessings. That's the book of Ephesians. But once he gets put in jail the second time, dude, it's for a death sentence. We don't know exactly how it happened. Peter, we don't even know exactly how, but tradition says Peter said, I want to be, I want to be crucified upside down. I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Savior was crucified. And, and these guys died. But he got the book of Ephesians out to people. And when he wrote this book, it, it, in the original language, look at this real quick. We talked about it last week, and I'm going to move quick. Paul, an apostle of Christ, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are, and in the original language, some of the oldest manuscripts, it doesn't say to the Ephesians. There's a blank there. If there's a blank, Brandon, it's written to blank. Who else could it be written to? Yeah, to you. Okay, and, and written to Rick, it can be written to all of us, but literally what was happened, they would send this letter out, but just like the letter to the seven churches, there was Ephesus, there was Smyrna, there was Pergamus, Thyatira, there was Philadelphia, and there was Laodicea, this little area. So everybody would get their own letter, and it would be written down, and everybody in that area could write it. That's why I believe God took me to the book of Revelation, where 50 years later, or actually 30 years later, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, he wrote the letter to those seven churches, and it gives us insight of what kind of people who are getting this letter. What, so you can appreciate the context of why this would be written. So, again, he says the purpose is for you to have grace. Wait, what's grace, Karen? Yeah, great, grace, well, no, but grace, you saw Philippians 2.13, which you used to have up there. He gives you what? Yeah, Philippians 2.13, the desire and ability to do what God wants you to do. How many of y'all would love to have that? You got it. You just got to tap into it. So the grace and peace, peace is what you get when you have the ability to do what God wants you to do. And so he says, this is what you need. You need the desire and ability to do it. You need to do it. And then you have peace, even if you're in prison, even if you lose all your material possessions, even if whatever. I mean, by the same token, have you ever seen people, what are all those stories about people win the lottery, Terry, and they can't really handle it? They end up living in a dumpster, and they're a derelict. They're like, ah, oh, because you're like, well, give me a shot at that, you know? Everybody says that. But do you really, isn't that what covetousness is? Where you want something God doesn't want you to have? Maybe you can't handle it. We want what God wants us to have in this. So he says, man, grace and peace, that's what you guys need, and that's what we're going to learn in Ephesians. 
super quick, because we're going to get to Smyrna real quick. He starts off with the cold church. He said to the angel or the pastor in Ephesus, write the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampsticks, means nothing really much more than the fact that God is aware of what's going on in his church, including this one right here. Who's, who does Driftwood belong to? God, I, I hate when you guys say, so, hey, man, well, I went to your church. No, it's not my church. Or some of you I get to say, oh, no, my church. Because if you come here, if we don't scare you off, welcome to what? The family. You're here. You're in. It's like the Gestapo. You can't get out. Even if you go to another church, you're still driftwood. It's, it's on your skin. It's in you, man. It can't leave. All right. That's the way it is. That's driftwood, man. But, but the point is, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's whose church? His church, man, and he knows what's going on is supposed to represent him, period. And the church isn't this, this body. It isn't just this because every week this body changes. It isn't the building. It is. It's you individually. When you go out into the world, wherever you're going, you are that church. And so we all together cumulatively represent this church. So it says, man, this is to the pastors giving you direction and I'm the one walking among you, and I'm the one that gives you light. You got light? Where does it come from? It comes from him. He said, I know your works. God knows your works. Did you know God knows when you prayed last night? Man, you maybe were laying in bed praying and thinking nobody knows. You weren't even thinking about that. God heard your prayers. He knows when you're praying. He knows when you're serving. He knows, he knows mama, when you got up. Ashley, he knows, mama, when you got up, and you didn't even want to get up. God, that kid's crying again. Oh, my goodness. And cutting it. God, please let those teeth go. Mama, he, he knows when you got up. He knows you got up because you love, because he gave you that love. He's aware of all those things that go unnoticed. How many of y'all mamas ever did stuff that's not noticed? And again, you're not going to raise your hand because you're like, oh, I don't want everybody to think. No, man, I know you thought it before. Nobody knows. He knows. He's, man, I know your works. I know the hard work, the toil, the sweat, everything. And, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles or not, and you found to be false. So these, this church was solid in doctrine. They knew the word of God. They were solid in doctrine, but they were lacking in what? Love. They were, they were solid in doctrine, and they were lacking in love. The church next week we look at, if he lets us only look at one, and the one we'll start with, they were solid in love, but they were lacking doctrine. Hey, let me ask you a question. Which one's better? Ralph, which one's better? If you're lacking in love, but solid in doctrine, or if you're lacking in doctrine and solid in love, which one's better? Or are they both wrong? They're both wrong. Rules without, re with, without a relationship equals rebellion. Rules without a relationship equals rebellion. And so you got to have the rules of God's doctrine, but you also have to have the relationship that he's love. And then you don't have rebellion. If all you have is love, but no rules, who gets to define love? And what if the definition isn't the same as yours? We're seeing that in the world today, aren't we? But what if it's all rules and obey the rules, Chris? Hey, how about that? Boom, boom. And there's no love. What does that do for you? It makes you want to run from that place, right? Until you really find Christ. And when you find Christ, you find out how much he loves you through the rules that he has established in his word. Man, and you, fit, you find that these rules are good. Hey, hey, Sturgill girls, man. Hey, are, are there any rules that you, when your parents institute them, you really hated? But then, ah, uh, oh, I, see, I, uh, I see the little one. She's got it. You know, she's just like open book. Boom. There were rules your parents hated or made for you, and you hated them, right? You don't have to tell us what. But were you glad later that they instituted them? You want to share that right now and get some brownie points? No? No? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, how about not eat when my parents, oh my goodness, I don't know if you had parents this horrible or not. But back in the day, dude, Halloween, dude, you could go out and, man, get giant bags of candy. And this was back in the day where you'd have to worry about razor blades and apples and poison and stuff. Dude, we'd come, we'd have giant bags of candy, right? And what did I want to, Scott, what do you think we all wanted to do with all the giant bag of candy we got? When? When did we want to eat it all? Right now. It's my candy. I just got it. Anybody here ever want to eat all their Halloween candy in one setting? Come on. Yeah. And how many of y'all ever had a parent that let you do that? Maybe one time. Yeah. Oh, you were spoiled. I know. But I'm just saying, no. But literally, if your parent, dude, one time my mom actually let me do it. And buddy, I was going to show her, yeah, I can handle this. (laughs) I have been known for my eating ever since I was little. There was a a picture of me as a baby in a stroller in the Orlando Sun Sentinel. It was a little private little newspaper, and it shows this little kid that wasn't so little, and he's riding in a stroller that barely fit, and I had an ice cream cone this big. (laughs) I've been known for uh, Bozo's Big Top. Anybody remember Bozo's Big Top? It was a show that was on WFTV Channel 9 in Orlando where you could actually go to the station and be on Bozo's Big Top. And dude, I was on TV, man. And guess what they picked me for a game for? Eating. All I had to do, man, was eat like, I don't know, six or eight or ten crackers and be able to whistle. I'm like, dude, this is, all these other kids are going, I'm like, I pound it and I want a giant Tootsie Roll, which by the way is not a giant Tootsie Roll. It's a hollow cardboard thing filled with Tootsie Rolls. But getting back on track, dude. So I'm an expert eater, man. Eating's important to me. It always has been, probably always will. The marriage supper, the lamb, is what I am looking forward to, brother, more than anything. And there will be gizzards there. All right, but both mullet and chicken. But anyways, yeah, so I ate all of that candy. My parents made a rule, don't, you can't eat candy. You can't eat the whole bag. Don't eat the whole bag. (coughs) I ate the whole bag. What do you think happened, Scott? Oh, my goodness. Y'all remember the Alka-Seltzer commercial? How many are old enough to remember when we had commercials for stuff other than drugs? <laughs> and side effects. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen if you say, you remember commercials? Yeah. Alka-Seltzer, help me out if you remember it. I can't believe I ate the... <laughs> yeah, you remember, right? And it was a rule my parents made that I was so glad. After that, I never ate a whole other bag of candy, a whole at one setting. Now, I'm not saying that can't change and I can't forget, but that's why I don't go trick-or-treating. But anyways, but literally, so there's times where there's rules, man. You got to not just have rules, but you got to have a relationship. Now I understand my mom loved me. And, and now with we understand health, dude, how long would it take Flink to clean all that? He's still cleaning that out of my gut from what I ate back when I was seven years old. <laughs> but anyways, so he said, man, I know you guys got doctrine. You're solid. You know the Bible inside and out, but you got no love, man. You got no relationship, so you're only doing it. If you're not doing it because you believe he loves you and you love him, why are you doing it? For you. It's a pride thing. It's a pride issue, and it's legalism. And he said, man, that's who you guys are. He goes on and says, I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Legalism, man, will make you stick to it and stick to it even if you lose your family and lose everybody. But he says, I have this against you that you, what's the next word? Abandon. I told you I wasn't preaching on this today, but listen, this word abandon, what's the difference between abandon and lost? 
If you lost, he says, you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. What, if you lost the love you had at first, what does that mean? Yeah, it, it, exactly. It wasn't by choice, and it's gone. You know, if you lose something, do you know where it's at? Not if it's lost. <laughs> Not till you find it. Yeah, it's gone. You don't know where it is. So you can't go back to it, but when you abandoned it, it was by choice. You chose to do some different things that, uh, that caused you to abandon or leave the love you had to begin with, which was the true motivation for everything you did for Christ. Now you've turned to legalism, and all you're doing is just following the rules, man, following the rules. You're out there. Here's the illustration God gave me one time on this. Can you imagine being out in that ocean, way, 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 way out in the ocean, and all of a sudden you get dropped in the ocean and you're treading water? How many of y'all could tread some water? How long did we have to tread water for, like, to get our certification for diving? What was that? 20 minutes, something like that. Yeah, so treading water for 20 minutes, all right? That's something, all right? But all of a sudden, they drop an inner tube there. Can you imagine having an inner tube, and it's got a surf leash, so you can put it on your wrist? All right, so what should you do? Kristen, what should you do if you're out there treading water, and you're sinking, you're coming up, you're getting tired, right the moment, right moment, and an inner tube drops with a surf leash, and you put it on your wrist, what should you do? You get in the inner tube, and then, and then all of a sudden, the inner tube is what's floating you, right? How ridiculous would it be to be attached to the inner tube and continually treading water and only coming to the inner tube when you get tired and you can't do it anymore and then go back and tread water again? That's legalism. That's the performance-oriented theology so many people are a part of. What Ephesians is going to teach us is how to fall in love with Christ. And dude, when you're in love with Christ, dude, you don't want to be with anybody else. You don't want, you, he's the inner tube, dude. You're just like laying right on top. And, and anybody trying to take it from you, dude, no, this is, man, I'm hanging on. Nothing's going to get me separated from this. And he says, good thing, because I promise nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. But you got to get on and get in and relax. You got to rest. And guess what? Whatever the inner tube does, what are you going to do? Whatever the inner tube does, you know, over a wave, under a wave, you keep holding on. And the beautiful thing about Christ is he holds on to you. But it's got to be love. Otherwise, if you abandon that love, you find yourself kind of treading water. Treading water, trying to do the right thing, trying to do the right thing. And you can only tread water for so long before you drown. Or come back to Christ. And that's what he's telling these guys. Remember from where you fall and repent and do the works you first did. Hey, let me ask you a question. When you first got saved, what were some of the things you did? When you first got saved, Scott, what were some of the things, man, when you first gave your life to Christ, what were some of the things you did? How did your life change? Okay, uncontainable joy because you saw it in everything. Oh, look what God's doing, <laughs> you know? Bam! Oh, look what God just did! <laughs> you know? I mean, literally, whatever. You saw life from his perspective. And how many of y'all couldn't put the Bible down? You read it and you were just like, oh my goodness, where's it? I remember saying, where's this been my whole life? How many of y'all loved talking to him, praying? Man, how many of y'all loved hanging out with people who knew more than you about it and they were teaching you new things about it? And you're just soaking it in, saying, oh my goodness. And you're taking it all in. That's what he says. Go back to doing the things you used to do when you were in love with Christ. 
Get back into the Word. Get back into fellowship. Get back into a deeper study. Get back into everything that happens. Man, start seeing it from his perspective, talking to him about everything. Is there anything you can't talk to him about? No, there's nothing. It's all there. So he says, man, go back because without love, you're not doing anything for him. You're doing it all for you. You know why Jehovah Witnesses are knocking on your door? Is it because they love you? No, they want to be part of the 144,000 that goes to heaven. They're trying to get in so they can be worthy enough to be able to get into heaven. And is that going to work? No, not biblically. It's not going to work. But many of us Protestants are doing the same thing. We're trying, trying. We got to put on this. Here we are. Look at me. I'm a bag of bag of oranges. But man, this isn't what God wants. This is what God wants to show the world because this smells so much better. And if I were to squeeze this out and you were near me, dude, and it's all over your lap, what would happen? I'm not going to do it. Bob wants me to do it on him. No. What would happen if I squeeze this out and you were near me? You're going to get juice all over you, and this juice is sticky. <laughs> you might even try rubbing it off, but you can't. You're going to be smelling oranges the rest of the day. That's what God wants our life to be like. Look, it's dripping off my hands, and it's getting on everything. That's what our Christian life is supposed to be. It's going to be messy, but the mess that comes out is the flavor of Christ, and it's all over everyone. And so, so that's what causes us, man, I love the smell of oranges. Because I've had them squeezed out all over me. Plus, I've been hitting the head with a, a few of them in an orange fight. But I'm just saying, man, I love the smell. I love the taste. <laughs> I'm just, man, I love these oranges. because, And the and, and only reason I love these is because I know what they're capable of. But I don't love them just like this. I love those because, man, everything I need can be there. And that's what he says. Go back to doing what you used to be doing and he says repent do the first works and we preached on this last week he said if not i'm going to come remove your lamps from his place unless you repent in other words has there ever been a time where you felt like god really has abandoned you has there been a time where man you took his presence for granted you took the ability to read the word for god you took the ability of, of, of the holy spirit enlightening you you took it for granted and all of a sudden it's like not there that's a scary thing and it happens when we quench the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, the book of Ephesians, I shared this in a small group Bible site. When we get there, he showed me that it only comes through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like a hose. We're walking this way. And God's blowing all his goodness out. We're walking this way towards him. And the minute we start walking away from him, what happens when you take a hose that's blowing stuff out, Gary, and you turn this way? What do you do to the hose? You put a kink in it. And once you put a kink in the hose... What happens now? Nothing comes out. And that's quenching the Holy Spirit. So it's not until we realize nothing's coming out sometimes that God says, go back to doing what you used to do. And we turn back. Now the hose is unkinked. And the goodness is flowing out. You know? And I'm not saying, you know, you kink a hose. Jack, you know, you kink a hose. Sometimes it all don't stop. There's little drips still there that can spray in the face when you're trying to put that nozzle on, right? You know, or the sprinkler on. It's not all gone. But to get the full blast, dude, you got to start going back God's way. That's what repent means. We kink the hose. So he said, man, I'm going to, you know what? I'm just going to turn the water off for a little bit till you miss me. Unless you repent. He said, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. We'll talk about next week, which I also hate. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We were talking about this out on the island the other day, April, when we were out. She's like, you mentioned that tree of life, and is that the one in the garden? Yeah, in the garden. Check it out. When they were in, Adam and Eve were in the garden, um, God said, you can do anything you want except what, Rick? <laughs> what can you not do? You can do anything you want in the garden except what? The, the, and what was that? Ryan, do you remember what that tree was? The fruit of knowledge of good and evil. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing they couldn't do. Anything else they could. So they didn't have knowledge of good and evil. In fact, they didn't have knowledge of evil. So here's what it was. I see Terry. It's like, oh, he's awesome. I see John. He's great. Fernando, awesome. You know, I look at everything. This chair is phenomenal. You know, everything we look at. Oh, my goodness. Have you ever seen such a beautiful backpack in your life? Everything that they would look at and be a part of, including their naked bodies. That's what it kind of talked about. Whatever they saw, whatever they experienced was what? Awesome. It was good. And God wanted it that way. If everything is good, do you have any decisions to make? No decisions. But they ate. They took the bait from Satan. They saw that it was good, thought it would taste good. But most of all, they would now be able to decide between things like God did. But what happens when we make decisions that we're not qualified to make? Scott, you ever see people do that? You were in the military, weren't you? <laughs> I'm just saying that's one place, right? But in life, have you ever seen people make decisions they're not qualified to make? You're feeling that way about the FSU coach right now, aren't you? <laughs> or their quarterback. or one. Yeah, yeah. At least they kind of won. <laughs> I saw that was a happy day for you. But, but literally, what happens when people make decisions they're not qualified to make? There's a 50-50 chance, right? And most of the time, it's really more like 80-20, right? You make wrong. How many of y'all ever made wrong decisions because you made decisions you weren't qualified to make? Yeah, so since that time, Adam and Eve ate that tree. Their eyes were open. Everything wasn't good anymore. Now they could say, ooh, you know, Bob, you know, I thought you were good, but now I'm kind of having questions about that, you know. I'm seeing good and evil, and i got to kind of make some decisions. Uh, this backpack, wait a minute, you know, this pack is dark. It's going to get hot. Oh, my goodness, life's so confusing. What color backpack should I get? You understand what I'm saying? Now you have choices about everything is a decision when instead it was just like dig the ride. And that's literally what Christ has told us to do now is just dig the ride. <coughs> but our flesh gets in the way. We've got choices to make on stuff. And so how many of you would say that in your lifetime you've maybe made 10 bad choices? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. Maybe 100 bad choices? I'm not talking about last week. I'm talking about a lifetime. <laughs> How about since the beginning of Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden? Can you imagine how many bad choices there have been made in this world? And each time you make a bad choice, there's a consequence, right? So all the bad choices that have been made in the world forever, can you imagine all the consequences that come with that? Now you wonder why the earth is in such a bad shape. Why in the book of Romans, the, he says the earth is groaning. The, literally, the, the earth is groaning, saying, please, God, restore us. Get these humans out of charge. They're making bad decisions, messing everything up. Can you not tell that? Does the world not see that happening? Why do you think they're trying to do a green deal other than redistribute money? I'm just saying, 
You're buying it. We're buying it because we see everything's being destroyed. Everything's messed up. We're losing this. We're losing that. We're losing. We've made a lot of bad choices. The world's falling apart. Our lives are falling apart. Maybe for choices we didn't even make. And we're watching all of this, and God says, no. So there was another tree in the garden, and it was the tree of eternal life. When he kicked Adam and Eve out of that garden, what did he do with the tree of eternal life? He what? Nope, didn't take it to heaven yet. He made it non-accessible. And how did he do that, Gary? Yeah, dude. Here's, so here's the tree of, uh, of, of eternal life. So if they would have eaten off the tree of eternal life, you know what that means? That means each of us would be living eternity in these bodies we have right now. How many of y'all would be pretty stoked to do that? How many of y'all ever seen a little disintegration? The older I get, the better I was. You know what that's saying? Can you imagine? This is what 59 years does to a body right here. Dude, there was a day I looked like Nate, man. There was a day I looked good, man, but that day's gone. I have lost every black hair from my head. I just realized the other day when I looked at a picture my wife took. I'm just saying. Can you imagine what another 59 years, another 59 million years? So what God did was he took the tree of eternal life, the one that was going to give you the ability to live forever. And you know what he did? He put an angel in front of it, put a cherubim with swords and fire and flame. And any, if they ever even thought about coming to it, man, they questioned their thought and they, they went the other way. He protected it. But in heaven, look what he says. He said, man, to the one who conquers, the one who falls in love with me and does what I want them to do, he said, I'm going to grant you the ability to eat the tree of life. Now where's that tree at? It's in heaven. We looked at it in the last two chapters of Revelation. It's actually a tree. There, we don't know if there's going to be an ocean, but we know there's going to be a river crystal clear. And we know the tree goes on both sides. We know we get to eat the leaves, man. And, and, and it, it's, it's going to, the fruit is going to bring us health. It's going to allow us to live forever in perfect shape. Not physical only, but mental, spiritually. We're going to be perfect like God. I'm glad he prevented them from eating that tree. So he said, which is in the paradise of God. So he said, man, you hang in there. Fall back in love with me by knowing what I provided for you. And the only way you're going to know what I've provided for you, the only way you can love him is if you know how much he's loved you. And the only way you know how much he loves you is if you're back in communicating with him. You're back in hearing from him in your word. I love you guys have been coming to Wednesday night Bible study. And almost every week, Cora. I ask everybody in Bible study at the end, so how are you going to apply this? What stuck out to you? From everything we learned and read, and Cora for the last couple of weeks said, he's good. And Scott, like, he's good. He's good. Man, you get that from reading his word, that he's good. And man, you fall in love with him. By reading his word and knowing who he is and by having that fellowship with him and, and really experiencing him, he is good. And that's what he says and he's going to teach us in Ephesians even better how to do that. We're going to find out how much he loves us. And it's going to cause us to love him that much more. So the new stuff we're looking at <laughs> today, it's only a few verses, man. As I joke with Terry, how long can a few verses take? It depends on who's teaching those few verses. But we see the cold church who lost their love. They were just, they had the rules, but no relationship. We're not going to get to the relationship with no rules. That guy comes next week. But we're going to find the crushed church. Because as I said, as I said before, if you have gotten so prosperous, so self-sufficient on your own that you don't need God, what does God usually do to get your attention? 
Yeah. He, he makes you understand how non-self-sufficient you are. He brings things in your life that seem to crush you. But just like this orange, man, you don't get, oh, dude, it's squirting juice everywhere. JJ's like, I know, and I'm going to have to mop that up later. <laughs> like, <laughs> I see JJ's face going, <laughs> you are a great son-in-law. <laughs> I love you, man. But, dude, this thing's getting messy now. Anybody who, get, when the, anybody who gets anywhere near this thing is going to smell like what? Orange. The messier this world gets, dude, the more people should smell like Christ, even who don't want to smell like Christ, because they're rubbing elbows with us, because we're hugging them, because we're loving them, because we're doing life with them. So this is what happens now, the church with no love. There's another church just north of them, about 35 miles, called Smyrna. It was actually a place. And, and, and this church is is the church that God allows him to be persecuted. Ephesus, kind of not so much, because there was no real power of Christ going on. It was just a bunch of good things for the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, well, they put camps on for the kids. Well, they do this, they do that. It was the social gospel, but there was no real gospel. Smyrna was having the gospel, and you start bringing up the name of Christ, dude, things happen, and there's going to be persecution come up. So it says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, the words are the first and last who died and came to life. So Jesus uses this title to say, this is who I am to you guys. And so this word Smyrna, it's a root word from, it comes from the root word myrrh. Anybody know what myrrh was? Yeah, what was myrrh? Yeah, it was a root, dude. But like the orange, only it was a root, man. And if you were to take this root, you might like get below it and smell a little bit. But dude, how many of y'all ever had roadkill in your ditch or you smell roadkill when the wind blew right in your neighborhood or somewhere? Anybody know what roadkill smells like? That's rough, isn't it? Roadkill. That's what dead bodies smell like. Myrrh was crushed and pulverized and the flavor was so potent, the flavor. See, I'm talking food. What's it called when you smell? Oh, the, the scent. Thank you. I'm just thinking flavor all the time. That's the first thing I do is eat something and then find out if it's edible. But anyways, the scent was so potent that it literally would cover up roadkill. It would literally cover up a dead body. Can you imagine a smell so potent? But in order for that smell to come out, what had to be done with it, bro? Had to be crushed. And that's us with Christ inside. We got so much flesh, man, so much flesh going on. He's got to crush us. He's got to peel our skin away. He's got to allow some things to happen so Christ can truly come out. And if we don't let Christ come out, we've missed the whole thing. You've allowed your skin to be ripped off and you've allowed yourself to be crushed. There's nothing you're going to do about it. And you didn't even get the benefit of it. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? You missed the whole purpose of why God has allowed you to be crushed? Why is allowed your skin to be peeled off? People get under your skin. You missed it and you turned into them. You got crushed and people didn't smell Christ. Man, we can't afford to miss that. So he says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, that's where they had this root. That's kind of the root of it. He says the words are the first and last. That means the eternal one. He's the eternal one. So people who are going to be crushed even unto death, what is the greatest thing they can know from Christ? I'm the eternal one. I'm from the beginning to the last. So all this is in my plan. Uh, nobody before me, nobody after me. So what I say is going to be good. And look what he says. I died and came to life. So if they're going to kill you, uh, if they're going to kill you, who's the only one who can bring you back to life? Him. But he's, it might be in heaven, which is going to be awesome because it's way better to come into life here. So he's telling them, look, guys, I got what you need. 
I'm exactly what you need. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, this word poverty doesn't mean just you're lacking some things. Things aren't available at the grocery store. The supply chain is overwhelmed, and therefore the shelves are empty. That's not necessarily what it means. This word poverty means they have nothing. And the reason they have nothing in this town of Smyrna is because Smyrna was like, oh my goodness, they were the gem of Asia Minor. Next to Ephesus, they were the second largest. They, they had like, man, they, they, were, they had the corner on the market on, on medical, medicine, and uh, science. That was their big thing, medicine and science. And uh, uh, they were beautiful. And also, they always had teams in the Olympics. They always kicked butt. That was their big thing, man. We win at sports, and we're big in science and medicine. That's who we are. Now, for some of you, man, check this out. One of their God, they had temples to gods. In fact, they actually got elected to be one of the 11 first, out of 11 cities to be the first one to have a shrine, a temple to the emperor so they could start emperor worship later. And so listen to this medical for those of you who like to, you know, do alternative medicine. Well, this was the normal medicine from, from that day. They actually had a temple. I can't think of the dude's name, Ascalapius or anyways, they had a god. It was, a, it was a snake god. And so they had a giant temple of a snake god. In fact, our medical symbol right now is what, Fernanda? Snakes untwined. And it didn't come from Moses with the snake in the wolf. It, what it came from was this god here, this Greek, this god. Um, begins with an A. I can't, uh, if you want it. What's that? Asclepius. All right, yeah, I'll take your word for it there. I probably still pronounce it wrong. But anyways, that dude. And guess what? If you were really, really sick and you went to their temple, you went to their hospital for help, you know what they did? They had a special room. They had, their rooms were literally filled with snakes. How many of y'all absolutely love snakes, man? Anybody here? You, you dig snakes? We don't have any snakes. Your daughter would be, uh, Chris, yeah, yeah, they, they'd be ready. But how many of y'all are like, dude, I don't want to get anywhere near a snake? I'm okay, but they're not my favorite. So what they, the doctor would prescribe via the government is because this was a, you know, the, the part of it. This was one of their gods they worship, and you were a total idiot if you didn't do it. So, Scott, you know what they would do, bro? They would take you into a room loaded with snakes, and they would make you lay down in the middle of the snakes. And you would lay there. How many of y'all right now got goosebumps thinking about that right now? You know, that's a, you would lay there, and what they would believe is as the snakes crawled over you, and they went through everything on you. Anybody getting like kind of queasy? I want you to imagine this right now. You're laying there and the snakes are all over you and around you. And, and they're releasing their healing powers all over you. And that was what they believed. Now, I'm thinking some people died, <laughs> you know, from heart attack. But, but yeah, it was like, I'm not going to ever be sick again because I don't ever want to have to go there. But Literally, that was part of their, that was one of their highlights. If you really wanted the snake treatment, dude, you go there. And I guess if you got bit, then that was like, you know, all right, you need a little extra medicine, right? And uh, so they had all kinds of gods. And, and let me ask you a question. If you live in a society with all kinds of gods and you deny all those gods, what do they call you, Gary? If you deny all the gods that everybody believes in, what is it called when you don't have a god? Yeah, godless. And what's the A word? Atheist. So during that time, the Christians were the atheists. They were the atheists because they denied all the gods of the society. And in fact, later, 50-something years later, when Polycarp died as an 86-year-old man, 
they were supposed to go into the, the uh, arena and they were supposed to save themselves by saying that by saying away with the atheists who were the Christians. Because you guys are so backwards, you won't believe in all our gods. And Christians, you only believe in one God. How, that ain't even a good deal to have one God. Come on, man. It is if you know him. So he said, I know your trivial. I know your poverty. These folks lost their jobs. They lost their houses. They were, it is abject poverty. I kept reading that word, abject poverty. That's one of the words. Uh, Brad, what does abject mean? Anybody know what abject means? Anybody help me out with your vocabulary? What does it mean when you are in abject poverty? Yeah. yeah, it ain't just a temporary thing. Dude, abject poverty, I understand. Man, dude, they lost everything. What's that? Hopeless, except they have hope in Christ. None of us are there. Hopefully, we never get there. But that's what he says. I know your abject poverty. The word for poverty here is abject poverty. It's the worst poverty anyone could ever experience. And Christ says, man, I know your tribulation. I know your abject poverty. But what does he put in parentheses? They say you're poor, but I know that you are rich. Why are they rich? Because they have spiritual blessings, which are worth way more than any material blessings. Again, I have a hard time. I have stuff. I like stuff. I have disc golf stuff. I've been playing disc golf again. I have, man, and I brought some of my old discs out, and some of the new guys are like, oh, dude, that's like a 19-something Valkyrie. Look at the patent numbers, and oh, my goodness, don't ever lose that one. That one's worth 200 bucks. I'm like, I'll sell it to you for 100 No, that's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I would sell. Yeah, they're like, oh, that one's special died. That one, you know. I have stuff. There's discs now that I'm scared to throw because I, I don't want to end up in the woods. So I got stuff. They took my disc off away. They took my guns, took my stuff away. I'm there. I'm not like, you know, oh, I have nothing. I'm, oh, dude, my kids are afraid of what they're going to inherit from me. I told them, get good on eBay. Otherwise, there's no inheritance. Because this is not junk. This is good stuff, right? But he said, man, he said, I know your poverty. You've lost everything. Man. Scott, you, left, you lost that little Porsche that it's not so much it's the Porsche, it's the sentimental value of that Porsche from your, what, grandfather or from their dealership. Until half, I mean, that's what he's talking about. You lose everything. He said, but you are rich if you have Christ. And that's what Ephesians is going to teach us, all the richness we have. And you're like, well, get to Ephesians. I will as soon as God lets me. But, and if you, you go read it, and then you're going to be versed up by the time I preach on it. But he says, man, so if you lost your love, get your love back, and you'll realize how rich you are. You'll realize how much he loves you, and, and that your spiritual blessings are more, worth more than your material blessings. If you're poor, you're dirt poor, and everything you've lost because of Christ, realize you're still filthy rich because you have eternal life, and there, that's going to last forever. Your spiritual blessings are way more important than your physical blessings. He said, you guys are rich. The slander who say that they're Jews, but they're not, are a synagogue of Satan. You know, anything that goes against Christ is Satan. Even if it's got a Christian name to it, even if it calls itself a church, even if we preach something unscriptural, that's Satan. And it goes little by little. It's the frog in a kettle, how things get turned around and turned backwards. And it's going to happen in the church because before, when Christ comes, the world's going to be set up. I don't know when again, but it's going to have a one-world government, a one-world economy. And y'all see that could happen anytime. And a one-world religion. 
And you got to take Christ out for that. Here we had Jews finally getting a hold on things, saying, oh, man, you know, you know, you guys should be getting circumcised. You should be doing all this and, you know, all these things. He said, no, that's from the synagogue of Satan. What you got from Christ is all you need. And the Jews were persecuting the Christians because Jews didn't have to worship the emperor. Their religion was already accepted. Christians were losing their life because they wouldn't worship the emperor. And he says, what does he tell them first? Don't what? Don't be afraid. Who do you tell not to be afraid? Hey, yeah, when you're, well, Erica, what, uh, you, got a little, you guys got little kids, right? You got little kids? And, and do they ever get afraid? No, your kids don't get afraid. Your kids get afraid? Your kids, yeah, okay, so your kids, yeah, her kids are tough, dude. They're like, they're not afraid of nothing, man. I'm messing with you, but, but yeah, when your kid's afraid, what do you tell them? Don't be afraid. And if they trust you, yeah, that's one way of saying it. Yeah, that's one way of saying it. <laughs> you are on the World Wide Web with DCF volunteer, and I'm just saying, no. No, but suck it up. That is a way of saying, don't be afraid. There are more loving ways of saying it, but I'm just saying, every, they understand your language, all right? That's your love language. Suck it up, all right? Mine too. If there's no blood, let's go, <laughs> all right? But but look what he says. He said, don't be afraid. So I don't want you to think these guys in Smyrna, they're like, oh, yeah, kill me. Yeah, you got all my stuff. What more can you? No, they're afraid. They don't know what they're going to eat. They don't know where they're going to stay. They don't know what's happened to their kids. They're being arrested and put in prison only to die. They've got bad junk going on. He said, you're rich, dude. I want you to know how important these spiritual blessings are. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because when you're, you have fear, Fear can drive you. The fear is the opposite of what? What's the other F word? Faith. You either have faith or you have fear. If you have faith, fear cannot motivate you and drive you. Has fear ever been used as a motivating force? Yeah. For everything. Even in your own home. How many of you have? All right. Have you ever used fear? Now that we already got this out and DCF's come to visit. And I'm just saying, no. <coughs> I cover that with the blood. No, I love how much you love your kids. Has any of y'all ever used fear to motivate your children? Scott? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever use fear? Yeah. Wait till daddy gets home, you know, or whatever. But I'm just saying, fear's always been used. But, but again, governments, people... There's all kinds of things that have used fear to motivate people, but even to do wrong things. But if you're being motivated to do something wrong because you're afraid, you need faith to have the guts to do the right thing. So I'm not saying sometimes you got to give people consequences, that's the fear. But if you're being motivated to do something simply out of fear, man, you need to check whether it's right or wrong. And if, they're, if you're being motivated to do the wrong thing out of fear, dude, you need some faith to say no matter what the consequences, this is what I'm going to do period. That's what these guys did. And I'm going to read you a story in just a second when we close about a dude named Polycarp. You can read it kind of on my Facebook page. I stuck it there, but I also want to read it to you guys to see the kind of people that we're going to stand next to. We're going to be standing next to them when we answer before God. And we're like, well, they were going to do, this was going to, you know, and then we read about, go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness, the stuff these folks did for the cause of Christ, the compromises they weren't willing to make. So there's rewards in heaven for that. He says, man, do not fear what you're about to suffer. <laughs> so what are they about to do, Brandon? 
suffer. <laughs> he didn't. How comforting is that? Suck it up. It's you. It ain't hurt. You ain't even felt hurt yet, girl. <laughs> Wait till I spread. How many of y'all remember mercurochrome? Anybody remember? That's an old word. Man, anything that wasn't a severed leg, mom put mercurochrome on, right? That junk hurt. I'm just saying, you know, my kids, I'd spray it, chase them around with a peroxide bottle. And if it foamed, I know it was working, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then we'd go with the aloe. We were all holistic back then, but we hit peroxide first. All right. So don't fear what you're about to suffer. You're going to suffer. But again, what's the purpose of suffering? How are you going to get to the good stuff in the orange if you don't get crushed? Make sure you don't suffer and miss the benefit of it and the eternal rewards of it. Make sure you see it from God's perspective, and that's probably the best thing I got to offer you today. Don't miss why God's allowing you to do this when you really want your family and everything to look like this. Because every one of us would choose this, wouldn't we? But this is what the world needs right here. They need to see Christ, and they can only see it when we get crushed. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you in prison. So who's the one orchestrating all this, Gary? The devil himself, and he's using people. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against people who are being used by the devil. Now, in case you get high and mighty and pious, how many of y'all ever been used by the devil? Today, yesterday, when we're not being used by God, that's what often we're being used. When I, when I decide to drive on the sidewalk to get around all the blue angels on US-1, I'm being used by the devil. <laughs> no, I'm not, Terry. You better listen to Tyatira next, Pergamus next week, because that's where they start compromising, all right? But literally, whenever we respond the wrong way, we're being used. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against people being used by the devil, and even Christians can be used. We can't be possessed, but we can be used. And we got to be careful that we aren't, especially when God's got a beautiful purpose trying to squeeze some beautiful Christ juice out of us, you know? Don't fear about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. Who's the one testing you? God's testing you. God does the testing. The devil does the tempting. And we do the what? The trusting. Nothing comes in our life unless it's by his design. He's testing us. A faith that's not been tested can't be trusted. Pardon that cliche. But the fact is, is that once your faith is tested and you know you can do that, guess what happens the next time it comes? Piece of cake. I've already been there. And God got me through that. He'll get me through this one. How many of y'all have a faith like that? You've watched God do some things in your life that you didn't think you were ever capable of having. Them. Yeah. And you grow by that. That's another reason for the suffering, to test you and show you what you got and what you don't and show you how to grow. So he says, for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Whether that means 10 literal days or whatever, it means really 10 days is used a lot of times as a short period of time. So do troubles last forever? No. Do they feel like they're lasting forever, Marissa? Sometimes they do, but they're not. He said they're going to last. God knows when to test you, and he knows when to rest you. So while you're in the test, don't miss what God's doing in that. He says, but instead, you be faithful. What does the word faithful mean again? Full of what? And what are you full of? Hopefully faith, <laughs> right? Be full of faith until when? You mean death's an option in this? Wait a minute. I thought pastor just said we were just going to get squeezed out on people and stuff. But it could be till death. God may squeeze every juice, every drop of Christ juice out of your body. And then where does he take you? Heaven. And none of y'all be complaining when you get there. 
especially if you get the most out of this particular part time of life. But he says, be faithful, full of faith until death, because that, oh, death isn't the end. Somebody once told me in a Bible study, if I'm not mistaken, it was right here. And the person's here, and I'm not going to point them out because they'd hate it, but it changed my life. I was talking about something at one time, and I was like, and what would you do tonight if you knew you were dying? And the person looked at me. The person looked at me, and they said, Pastor, we're all dying. (laughs) Just at different speeds. And it was like, wow. So if I would do things different if I knew I was going to die tonight, why aren't I doing things different knowing that I am dying just at a different speed? I've got a shelf life on this planet. And God gets to determine, I want to make the most of it. So he says, man, be faithful unto death. And he says, look, I'll give you the crown of life. I think we about end here, but listen to what the crown of life is. So they were Olympians. And dude, they had great, kind of like FSU or, you know, back in the day. How many of y'all, how many of y'all have a team that used to really be good at something? You know, I mean, they've had their dynasty. The Yankees, dude, I'm just saying. Dallas Cowboy, any Dallas Cowboy fans here? Oh, my goodness. I'm just, but, and I don't even really follow football, but, but Smyrna, dude, they were the dynasty at one point, you know, and the guys who were the athletes would come, and there's two words for crown in the Greek. One word is talking about the big, heavy crown a king wears that holds all this responsibility, but the other word for crown was a stephanus. They would get these laurel leaves that they would wear. And what happens to these laurel leaves that they would wear? It bring great honor, but what happened to the leaves eventually? They dry out and they die. It's a temporary honor. He said, dude, look what these guys are going through to get a laurel leaves. You know how hard they're working. You know how hard they do. And they're going to get this temporary crown. He said, you want a crown? I'll give you a crown. And it's not that we're going to actually get a crown, I don't think. He's, the, the crown is actually eternal life. We're going to have eternal life. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be there forever. We have the victor's crown because we're there. He said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the a Stephanos that will last a lifetime. It'll, it'll last forever. Don't sell your soul for some material crown, some material thing that's going to go. Man, how many of y'all got trophies when you're kids? Jack, do you ever get any trophies? You play baseball and you're pretty good. Mama, wasn't he pretty good? And not just you thought so, right? I'm just saying, you know, mamas always think their kids are great. But yeah, you got trophies. Do you still have those trophies? Okay, all right. Destiny still lets you have them. Are they at your house? Man, you know what? When I was probably... I had him at my dad's house, and when he died, I was like 50 years old maybe. And I went in there, and I started just taking all those trophies and throwing them away. They were temporary. It's like looking at them like I had good memories, but really, they're temporary. Man, one day we're going to get a trophy. It's going to last forever, bro. Yeah, you, you took the plaques off. Were you going to like sell them without the little name tag on? <laughs> try to get a, play it against sports. Here, participation moms, give your kid this trophy. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I earned this, but they can have it, you know. Yeah, that's how meaningless they are. But he says, man, you want a trophy? Dak, did you ever sell your soul for some of those trophies? No, I'm, but seriously, did you ever work hard for them? Yeah, and you did sell your soul. I'm, in, in this respect, you didn't like make a deal with the devil that I'd be the best pitcher ever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but dude, did you ever give it everything you physically had to get those trophies? Yeah. He said, man, if you're going to give it everything you physically have, do it for a trophy that can never be taken away. 
I'm going to give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, listen to him. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so what he's telling us in this is he's saying that in the great white throne judgment in the book of Revelation, before they open up heaven and everything, he said, what's going to... Oh, there's a text from Terry. Oh, John, dude. John got some brand new Velcro sneakers, man. Oh, I love when y'all send me texts. John, John, can I just show these real quick? Oh, I don't even. Oh, my goodness. Has anybody been on the boat with John before with his old Velcro sneakers? Dude, the tongue hung out, the Velcro, but they fit, dude. They were just like part of John. Oh, my goodness. So you're going to have to get on the boat and break these new bad boys in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> John, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Thank, thanks for that little diversion right there. But, uh, but anyways, <clears throat> so listen, <laughs> you see we're family, and that's why we're like, like, what the heck's he talking about? If you were family, you would know, man, because if you ever got anywhere near him with those other sneakers, I'm not saying they smelled, or I'm not saying what, but you looked at them, and they look like they would smell. They look like, like, dude, those are, dude, they fit. There was just a, a, a I don't even know how to, yeah, dude, they, oh my goodness, like they have gone well beyond their call of duty, <laughs> how about that, so, all right, <clears throat> so listen, so John, or the Apostle Paul, wrote this book to the Ephesians back in like 62, 63, uh, you know, uh, AD, and right while he was in prison, his own kind of self-imposed prison, he got out probably around 64, 65, somewhere right in there. And then immediately, all the real hardcore persecution started coming. And, and it ended up where even 50 year, or 30 years later, in the 90s, that's when God called John, the Apostle John, to come and write this that we're studying to the, in the book of Revelations. Nothing happened except the persecution had exponentially increased at this point in time. But the handwriting was on the wall. John wrote the book of Ephesians so they would know that the spiritual blessings were way better than the material blessings because they would lose. But then a kid who probably was born in the late, six, or the late 60s, who probably his mom, he was in his mom's womb when he was at church in Ephesus or one of those Smyrna and, 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 and got raised reading the book and later became a pastor of Smyrna, a dude named Polycarp. He ended up doing, uh, a few years later, um, ended up having to deal with all this emperor worship and ended up having to make a choice between Christ and the government and different stuff like that. So I want you to read, maybe you've read his thing, but check this out and we'll be done. I, I just want to read this out. It says, the year after Pablo Carp returned to Rome, so this would have been um, probably in the 20s, the 120 uh, A.D., is when Polycarp returned there. So he's an 86-year-old man at this point in time. He'd have been a little child when John wrote his thing, or, or maybe just getting ready to be born. So the year after Polycarp returned to Rome, a great persecution came upon the Christians in Smyrna. This is even greater than what was in the 90s and greater than what was even happening at that point. The, all the trade unions and the guilds were in Smyrna, and if you didn't worship their gods because you're religion told you you can't worship those other gods you have to worship only yours 
you got fired, you lost your job, you lost your home, you lost everything, and you were in abject poverty. But the Christians knew spiritual blessings were better than the material blessings, so they did it. And so this is years later even, the, the persecution even got more intense. He said his congregation urged him to leave the city until the threat blew over. So believing that God wanted him to be around a few more years, Polycarp left the city and hid out in a farm belonging to some Christian friends. Anybody here have a farm I can hide out in when what I'm doing is illegal? <laughs> All right, Jack, those woods out in Okeechobee are still available, right? I got, I got a, I can hammock camp out there, right? All right. But anyways, he's hanging out in a farmhouse uh, because he didn't believe God was done with them. Uh, it says, one day on the farm, as he prayed in his room, Polycarp had a vision on his pillow engulfed in flames. He knew what God said to him and calmly told his companions, I see that I must be burned at the stake. Meanwhile, the chief of police issued a warrant for Polycarp's arrest. They seized one of Polycarp's servants and tortured him, which happened to be family, tortured him until he told them where the, this master was. Towards evening, the police chief and a band of soldiers came to the old farmhouse. When the soldiers found Polycarp, they were embarrassed to see that they had come to arrest such an old, frail man. They reluctantly put him on a donkey and walked him back to the city of Smyrna. On the way to the city, the police chief and other government officials tried to pers persuade Polycarp just to offer a pinch of incense. That's all they had to do. Polycarp, look, dude, just take a pinch of incense and go up there and sprinkle it and say, Caesar is Lord. And they'll give you a certificate. Now you can do whatever you want. You can even worship and still preach just the opposite. That's all he had to do was just issue that incense, put that and say, Caesar is Lord. And so they said, come on, man, Polycarp, offer a pinch of incense before the statue of Caesar and simply say, Caesar's Lord. That's all he had to do. And they would be off the hook. They pleaded with him to do it. And escape, do it and escape the dreadful penalties. At first, Polycarp was silent, but then he calmly gave them his firm answer, no. The police chief was now angry, annoyed with the old man, pushed him out of his carriage and onto the hard ground. And other renditions say that his leg came out of his socket and they made him continually walk all the way back to Smyrna. But Polycarp, bruised but resolute, got up and walked the rest of his way to the arena with his leg out of his socket well, as an old man, and that's the grace of God. The horrid games at the arena had already begun in earnest, and a large bloodthirsty mob gathered to see Christians tortured and killed, because obviously they're idiots, right? Dude, we got all these great gods, and they're like not one. They're atheists. They worship one God. What a, what a bunch of idiots. The whole society turned against them, calling them atheists. So, man, the bloodthirsty mob gathered to see these Christians slash idiots tortured and killed. One Christian named Quintus boldly proclaimed himself as a follower of Jesus and said he was willing to be martyred. But when he saw the various animals in the arena, he lost courage and agreed to burn a pinch of incense to Caesar as Lord. That may be any one of us to lose that courage to do that. And we can justify anything. But... It goes on to say, another young man named Germanicus didn't back down. He marched out and faced the lions and died an agonizing death for his Lord Jesus. Ten other Christians gave their lives that day, 
But the mob was unsatisfied. They cried out, away with the atheists who do not worship our gods. To them, Christians were atheists because they did not recognize the traditional gods of Rome and Greece. Finally, the crowd started chanting, bring out Polycarp. When Polycarp brought his tired body into the arena, he and the other Christians heard a voice from heaven. It said, be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. Be the man. Be a real man. Follow God in this. As he stood before the proconsul, they tried one more time to get him to renounce Jesus. The proconsul told Polycarp to agree with the crowd and shout, away with the atheists. So Polycarp looked sternly at the bloodthirsty mob, waved his hands towards them and said, get away with these atheists. So he called them atheists in this, which obviously ticks some other people off. So um, the proconsul persisted. Take the oath and revile Christ, and I'll set you free. Forty-eight, uh, and Polycarp answered and said, For 86 years I've served Jesus. How dare I revile my king? And that's his famous line. For 86 years I have followed Christ. How dare I revile? How dare I deny him now when he's taking care of me? The crowd shouted, let the lions loose. But the animals had already been put away. The crowd then demanded that Polycarp be burned. The old man remembered the dream about the burning pillow and took courage in God. And he said this to his executioners, it's well. I don't fear the fire that burns for a season and after a while is quench. Why do you delay? Come on and do your will. They arranged, and another rendition says, he says, but you guys should fear the fire that's not going to be quenched. Your fire that you put on me is going to be quenched, and I'm going to be gone in heaven, but you guys should fear the fire that's going to burn you eternally. They arranged a great pile of wood and set up a pole in the middle, and as they tied Polycarp to the pole, he prayed, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy on this day and of this hour that I may receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ. After he prayed and gave thanks to God, they set the wood ablaze. A great wall of flame shot up to the sky, but it never touched Polycarp. God set a hedge of protection between him and the fire. Seeing that he would not burn, the executioner, in a furious rage, came and stabbed the old man with a long spear. And they say uh, that what came out of him actually quenched the fire. Now, again, these are different renditions, and you can read it about that. It says, when this happened, witnesses said they saw a dove fly up from the smoke into heaven. At the very same moment, a church leader in Rome named Irenaeus said he heard God say to him, Polycarp is dead. God has called his servant home. And there's a number of different renditions, but man, when you, that's just Polycarp. Man, when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you see the compromises that people were not willing to make for Christ, I think we're going to be held to the same accountability. And I'm not saying any of us have done that, but I'm saying, what would we do? How many of us would justify? I'll just take a pinch and I'll burn it on the, and say, Caesar's Lord. Not, I didn't mean it, but I'm just going to say it and do it. And, 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 and then I'll get to be able to go on and do ministry and keep preaching. But these guys love Christ so much, they would not renounce him. And you know what? God rewards that. And I don't know what, what opportunity you have. I don't think any of you are going to get tied to the stake. You got to interview at Chick-fil-A tomorrow morning. I don't think they're, they're going to tie you to a stake. And, you know, to, but, but man, I don't know how long God's been faithful in your life. Roger, how long has God been faithful in your life? 11 months. 11 months. 
So man, if he's been faithful 11 months, why renounce him now? Man, what's the worst they can do? They kill us. We go to heaven, bro. And so again, the idea is remember why the ripping, why when people get under your skin, why when God allows you to be crushed, remember what the purpose is. I know we try so hard to be this right here. And this is what we think we're supposed to be. And this is what we want. But this is what God wants. Allow God to do what he's doing and do not miss what he's doing in this. And if that makes no total sense and you have no desire for it, man, check to see how your relationship is with him. Ask him to give you the desire because this is what he honors. We gave him his, our life. He owns it. And he gets to do what he wants with it. And he wants everyone to smell Christ. And there's enough of you guys. I don't know, since COVID, I can't really smell much. But I'm thinking if he crushed all y'all, I'd smell Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for your promises. And Father, I'm not really sure how any of us are going to apply this right now. Father, I don't... Father, I don't even know how to work my microphone. <laughs> but Father, I know this is what you wanted. You know my desire. I wanted to blow through these seven churches to just give us a reference point as we study Ephesians. But Father, I just got to believe that there's somebody that's going to need to be able to apply this to their life today. And um, it might just be me first. So Father, I pray that not only will we not deny you, but we would lift you up in everything that we do. Father, um, I pray that we would really truly realize that spiritual blessings are way more valuable than any material blessings that we could ever get. Even though we don't even know what they really truly look like. Father, again, it tells us in your word that eye is not seen, ears not heard. We can't even comprehend how awesome it's going to be. You tell us in Romans that the sufferings, the worst things that can happen to us in this life are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. Father, help us not to live for this world, but to live for you. Father, knowing that this is not my home makes this world that much better for me to live in because I just get to represent you. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, they're not sure, they think what I'm saying is just ridiculous. Father, you said the foolishness of preaching, it's going to be the foolishness of preaching that saves people. But if they think it's foolish, possibly they may need to be saved. Give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. So, Father, I can't wait to see what you're going to do and how I get to apply this in my life this week. And I pray for these things.